Well, today I'm going to deal with gluttony in this sixth sermon on the seven deadly sins. I should point this out. This has been the most difficult sermon that I have contemplated preaching. And for a couple of reasons. Most people today think of gluttony as something that has health consequences, but not spiritual consequences. As a practice that will send one to an early grave, but not as a sin that will send one to hell. Which leads me to my second observation about why this is difficult. Whereas in former times, gluttony was associated with being fat. For instance, in the arts, Jesus and his disciples are never pictured as fat. Today, and with some uh, justification, it would be wrongheaded, even offensive, to associate gluttony simply with being fat. Now, let me proceed. Cautiously. My text is Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. What I want you to see is that the apostle considers gluttony to be a sin for which we are responsible and which can destroy the soul. I want you to notice his language. He says in this Philippian passage in chapter 3, verses 17 through 21, he says, their destiny is destruction. Now that ought to sober anybody up. Their destiny, he says, with respect to this sin, is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And, of course, he goes on to say, their glory is their shame. And what does this add up to? It adds up to this, quite simple, quite clearly, that gluttony has the power to destroy how so? Well, it has the power to destroy the body. There is no question that overeating and overdrinking are destructive to the body. Some of you, of course, don't know that this land that we have was given to us by a lady named Miss Wallace. And I used to sit uh, with her by her wood stove and coal stove and, and uh, talk to her about things. She almost always expected uh, me to walk across the street at some point uh, during the week a few times and, and help her out on some things, and I did. And uh, I would ask her questions because I considered it an opportunity to get to know something and to learn something. And one day I asked her about her sparse eating habits, and they were very sparse. In fact, she, she 
did not waste anything. She used to save string and roll it up as a ball and send it to the missionaries. Almost all of her retirement income went out at Christmas time to the missionaries. But she ate little food. She says, well, the reason I do, it keeps my body calm and alert. And boy, was she ever alert. She didn't miss a trick. Food consumption makes the body work harder. Now, we have to eat to stay alive. There is no question. And I believe God indeed in creation made us such that we can enjoy what we consume. But remember that it is an appetite that we're dealing with. And our appetites, of course, cannot have free reign or otherwise we can be destroyed. And it is obvious that overconsumption of meat and drink leads to an early grave. And in one sense, gluttony then would be denying God your life, at least the latter part of your year, years, or it may leave you infirmed. So it can be a serious matter with respect to how long you live and the quality of your life. But it also has a mental component to it. You noticed here that when the apostle is talking about it, he's talking about gluttony is a sin that reveals a kind of self-absorption that separates us, if you will, intellectually and mentally from God and from life. All through history, if you look at the portraits, the pictures, and I did go back and look maybe at several dozen pictures of medieval painters and painters up through the Renaissance who depicted gluttony. And in every case, they, they saw it as a, as a sin that led to, if you will, dullness, uh, that led to inactivity and unengagement. And it's interesting that the Psalms, uh, I mean the Proverbs, say that gluttony leads to poverty. Overconsumption leads to poverty. And so we have to be concerned about our desires because they can affect us mentally and, of course, emotionally. In fact, our emotions are very much wrapped up with this matter of food. No question about it. Some people eat to feel better about themselves. Some people refuse to eat and have eating disorders for similar reasons. But the scriptures make this also a spiritual matter. When the mind is directed to the self, it is, of course, directed away from God. And that is the problem. When we give rein to our appetites here on earth in such a way that we are, if you will, self-absorbed, we become less concerned about those things that are eternal and our spiritual direction. Have you ever noticed how many times the people of God are described in the Bible as setting aside times for fasting so they can devote themselves to God? Have you ever noticed that? Jesus, after his baptism, what, what does it say? The Spirit directed him into the desert where he 
fasted and prayed for 40 days and 40 nights. And he faced great temptation. In other words, there is a connection here between focusing upon ourselves and what we like and dislike and denying ourselves those things so that we might focus upon God and his will and his glory. And all through the scriptures, you find the saints of God practicing in conjunction with prayer, fasting. It is associated, overconsumption is associated with a dull spiritual life. Let me give some reasons why gluttony is considered a deadly sin and a damning sin. Gluttony, like any kind of, of, of uh, thing we engage in, is a kind of activity that does lead to self-absorption. What you like, what you're interested in, and what you taste. And uh, it is much associated with other sins as well. It's associated particularly with over-drinking with lust. It inflames the lust. And Proverbs does say it brings poverty upon us. Gluttony divorces, if you will, our mental capacities uh, from uh, life itself. But in the end, gluttony is only possible because we set aside our intellectual and reasoning capacities. And I want to focus on that just for a moment. Gluttony is possible because it divorces a natural and good appetite from reason. The one faculty that we have should, that should control our entire lives is the faculty of reason. It should control our emotions. It should control our appetites. Our appetites and our emotion divorced from reason means that we cannot possibly be moderate or temperate. We give rain to our emotions, and we give rein to our appetites. Reason is that which controls the appetite. The Bible does not really use the word gluttony as much as you might think, but it does use the word self-indulgence a lot in the New Testament. And uh, self-indulgence, of course, means that we are not fully engaged intellectually, and we do not exercise our reason. Over and over, I was reading some of the people and their thoughts of the past about gluttony, and they keep pointing this same thing out. That this divorcing of this appetite from reason is a dangerous thing in this life. How then do we contend with the temptation not to overindulge? Well, by learning temperance. Temperance. The Bible talks about temperance uh, in, in many, many places, it talks about self-control. The scripture says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. I want to read to you a passage of scripture that gave me some insight this week in looking at this passage. Look at Second Peter, if you will. And I want to look at chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Peter is dealing here, if you will, with the fruit of the Spirit, or we might talk about the virtues that God imparts to us through his Spirit. And I want to start in verse 5 and conclude in verse 6. For this very reason, notice the word is used, reason. 
Make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. Notice that self-control or temperance is sandwiched in between knowledge and perseverance. And I think that is by design and for a reason, and it's instructive for us, as all Scripture is, for our edification. Knowledge. I don't believe that a person is going to understand what temperance is, or going to understand, particularly in the modern world, the pitfalls of gluttony, unless they know something about the subject and know something about what temperance is. Temperance, it requires knowledge. First of all, the Christian must understand that God has created all things for us to enjoy. There is not a thing in creation that God has made that is evil, so therefore we can enjoy these things. The problem is not the enjoyment of them. The problem with gluttony is the proper use of the things that God has given to us to enjoy. Now, Jesus himself was accused of gluttony, wasn't he? I had the gospel lesson read from chapter 2 of John, verses 1 through 11, to show that Jesus enjoyed life. He went to a wedding in Cana of Galilee. It was a three-day-long wedding, and he engaged himself. He did not withdraw or do any kind of pouting or censorious withdrawing in any way, shape, or form. He was engaged, and he loved life. The Pharisees, of course, didn't like this. In at least two places in the New Testament, he is accused of being a glutton and a wine-bibber. Well, he wasn't, of course. Those charges were trumped up just as the charges at the end were trumped up against him. But Jesus, being the agent of creation, has given us all things richly to enjoy. Now, that's something you should know. The Bible doesn't necessarily condemn a thing for the thing in itself. Jesus said it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, it's what comes out. But make no mistake, too much food and too much wine can destroy your soul. And that's why we're called to practice temperance. We didn't even know what temperance is. It's not necessarily the avoidance of something. It's, not, it's, it's, it's recognizing that there are excesses. When Aristotle began to write on virtues, he said to every virtue there are two vices. There is its deficiency and there is its excess. And you've got to find, if you will, the golden mean in the middle. Not necessarily in the middle, but somewhere on that line that avoids the excess and the deficiency. Let's take courage. That's a virtue, just like temperance. What is the, what is the excess of courage? Well, it's recklessness. Can you imagine a soldier going into battle and so wired up and angry that they just run ahead of the rest of the troops and run into the fray of the battle? What would happen? They would lose their life. They would be no good to their military. It's just a waste of life. But the soldier also needs to avoid its deficiency. 
he has to have overcome fear so that he can, in fact, perform a courageous act. Notice it's engaged with reason and knowledge. Temperance is the same way. It's not necessarily avoiding everything, and it, but it is understanding its proper use. God has given us all things richly to enjoy. That's why I believe in this case that knowledge comes before self-control. You have to know how to control yourself. Look at the second part, perseverance. I think we are called to learn temperance in this way, that we must make these good actions habits of our life. Perseverance requires a habitual uh, action over a long period of time. Part of being a Christian is learning to replace bad habits with good habits. Learning temperance. It is something that is foundationally as a gift within us through the Spirit. It is something also we can draw out and practice. Work out your own religion with fear and trembling, says the Apostle. Temperance in our day is a rare quality. We live truly in the days of excess. We're almost back in the age of the guilted age when everything was in excess. You're even laughed upon today if you tout the virtue of temperance. But in the face of the excess that we have today all across the board, and gluttony is a kind of metaphor for overconsumption at every level, we need to learn temperance. Let me close today with two illustrations. Two illustrations. The first one, I'm going to conjure up somebody from the past. Any of you ever hear of Diamond Jim Brady? Well, Diamond Jim Brady was a, a railroad man, industrialist. He was known for his overconsumption back in the Gilded Age. He died, I think, in 1916 at the age of 61. He died in his sleep with a stroke. And when he died, they performed an autopsy and they discovered that his stomach was six times bigger than the average man. But let me tell you his practice. He loved the diamonds, of course. And he loved the show and the excess. And he was, though he never married, he was popular with the Hollywood stars. And he loved going into the great New York restaurants. And he would, it is said that he would come to the table and scoot his chair right up to where his stomach hit the table, and then he would back off six inches. And he would not quit eating until his stomach again touched the table. Second illustration. I was listening to a novelist some years ago, maybe Charlie Rose, and the novelist, a woman who was an ex-New York Times, as I recall, writer, but she had quit to write novels. Maybe you know her name already. I've forgotten. And she was talking about her ancestors, and she was talking about her grandmother, who was an old Yankee Puritan. And they were talking about excess, and she said, you know, I think we need to get back to where my grandmother was. It used to be, it was said, that when you would offer more at the table... She would come to the place and she would say, no, I've had enough. It was sufficient. Now, that may not seem like a big illustration. But think how difficult that is to do and how, whether we even think to do that or not. What I have had, she didn't say, I could eat more. 
She didn't say necessarily, I am full. She says, what I have had is sufficient. Now, what makes, at least to my mind, that such a great statement? She is practicing, practicing temperance. Her mind was engaged. It was ruling her appetite. Moreover, she had made this a habit in her life. Now, I was going to crack a joke at the beginning that I had lost 20 pounds preparing this sermon. <laughs> because of guilt. <laughs> Not the case. But I don't want you to go out of here today thinking that gluttony can be dismissed. Tradition did not name it a deadly sin for nothing. The scriptures do not talk about gluttony in the way it does for nothing. Avoiding gluttony and practicing temperance is our way, not by works, but our way to fulfill our relationship with the Lord. Praise be to God for his goodness and his grace and all the world that he has made. But let us use it rightly. Amen.